The World Nomads Podcast Bonus Episode. Here amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. One of the central pillars of World Nomads, the six things we believe make travel an essential part of life, is connecting with locals. Now that's a lot easier to do if you speak the local language and we do have some language phrase phrase books online of our own. They're not comprehensive language guides, but they will get you around a destination and maybe get you out of a sticky situation, Kim. Like one of the phrases we translate is, those drugs are not mine. Is that that the case? case? But, you know, joking aside, learning a language is a great way to get more out of your travel, which is why I wanted to talk to this guest. Ray Blakeney is the founder of Live Lingua, an online language school. Ray, welcome. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me. It's fantastic, mate. Don't worry. Um, I do want to talk about the online school in a moment, but I know there's an amazing story about how it came about. I know you've told it a million times, but come on, share it with us. It's a great story. I'll start with a full backstory, a little bit of story about myself, because I grew up speaking a number of languages, and that's kind of how I got into languages myself. I was born in the Philippines. I grew up in Turkey. My father's from the United States, but grew up in Africa. And now I live in Mexico because my wife is Mexican. Uh, <laughs> I told so you, that, Kim, I told you he was an amazing nomad. Yeah, right? exactly, okay, exactly. <laughs> so that's actually how I got my feet wet with the languages. But the real way I got into the business of the languages was I joined an organization called the U.S. Peace Corps. And for the people who are not familiar with it, it's a volunteer organization based out of the United States. And they sent me to Mexico to work with indigenous communities in southern Mexico. That's when I met my wife, who is actually the language teacher out of us. My background is I'm a computer engineer. After finishing my two years there, we decided to get married. And since we were young, had no kids and no debt, we decided to launch our own language school, kind of a traditional brick and mortar language school. So we opened one up in Mexico. And three months into it, swine flu hit Mexico. Um, I don't know how many people remember that. But for a while, they were thinking of quarantining off the entire country and nobody was going to come. So we had to plan. At that time, my wife had the idea, why don't we offer classes via Skype? Because our teachers worked on hourly rates and without students, they couldn't make an income. So I thought, what the heck? I launched a website, uh, did online marketing, made it number one. And within six months, that online website had more students than our brick and mortar school did. Swine flu ended in a month. Everybody started coming back to Mexico. But within six months, we were still bigger online than we were at our brick and mortar school. This continued for a few years. We decided then to sell our brick and mortar school, which at the time it expanded into three different locations and focus exclusively on online language education. We expanded over to 11 languages and rebranded in 2012 as Live Lingua before we had 11 small mini websites. So that's essentially how Live Lingua came to be. Thanks to swine flu. In Australia, there are very few few of us that speak multiple languages. You, you, you cover one at school, but by year 10, you probably are over it. And I've always been told, and I wished I'd continued with my French, that it's too hard as an older person to learn a language. You're better off under six years of age being bilingual. Would you agree with that? It's different when you're learning a language when you're older, but I definitely don't agree that somebody can't learn a language when they're older. Um, right now, I'm studying Japanese, um, and I'm almost 40, so not too old, but kind of in the middle of the range. We have students as old as 92 studying with us right now at Live Lingua, and they are making great progress on their languages. What really changes when you learn languages as opposed to a child um, is kind of the techniques you need. But I also believe that when a child learns a language, is a little bit of a misnomer because a child doesn't really learn a language in a month, three months, six months. 
they do learn it over the course of years. They just don't mind when they make mistakes. I think that's kind of the biggest obstacle we have when we're adults. We're really self-conscious. While a child will go out there and make a fool of themselves for day after day (laughs) in order to learn the language. If if an adult has that mindset, they can learn a language at any age. Emma, we believe there's a connection between language and travel and and making that connection with people. And you obviously believe that too. A hundred percent. In fact, when we say we teach language at LiveLingua, what we actually offer as a product, we like to say is understanding. Um, And that understanding is not only on the language level, but it's also on the culture level. Because in order to really speak a language, you also need to understand the culture. You might know know the words, but you won't understand the culture unless you really absorb it. Uh, The example I always give is different humors. For example, Australian humor versus U.S. humor versus humor from the United Kingdom. We all speak the same language. But if I watch a comedy on BBC, for example, I might not necessarily laugh while a friend in the UK could watch an episode of Friends and they wouldn't laugh because the culture is different. Yeah. Although they do have soundtracks that... <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> laugh track. Give laugh track to tell you, you know, track. Laugh. Yeah, 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 when to laugh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's one of the problems, I mean, because we talk about translating the World Nomad site into different languages as well. And, um, you know, because I'm the editor of the Travel Safety uh, Vertical mm-hmm. as well. And it's there's quite a lot of jokes in there as well. And I've gone, that's still got to be funny in Spanish, you know, like, and it might actually be <laughs> offensive or we might just sound like complete idiots. So that's really hard, isn't it? Getting it that is. Understanding? It is. When I remember back when I ran the uh, brick and mortar language school, I was the only foreigner there. So all the other staff was Mexican. And I would make jokes that I thought were hilarious and nobody else in the room would laugh. I tried the, a, a joke about the birthday suit, you know, coming yeah. into work in your birthday suit. So I translated it literally to traje de cumpleaños. Yeah. Nobody got it. Absolutely nobody in the room. That doesn't mean anything in Spanish, apparently. So I kind of looked like a fool later that day in the office. But. Well, I'd actually, it's interesting, we're on this topic. I downloaded, uh, to tuck behind our ear for the podcast on Australia, um, people trying and failing to guess the meaning of Australian slang. And they go through a few of our the things that we say, like, she'll be right. Yep. And then they will ask, well, let's ask you, Ray, what do you think she'll be right means? I'm going to take a wild guess that she'll be all right, but I honestly don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, the UK's guess is the wife is always correct. <laughs> well, that's probably well, that's accurate true. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Russia's guess is she'll be back in a minute. Uh, the actual meaning is you're correct. Everything will be fine. Yeah. It's, and it applies not just to, you know, a female person. It's like, you know, everything will be okay in the end. It's basically yeah. what it means. She'll yeah. be right, mate. Oh, I, yeah. Totally. One of my good friends was Australian and he used the word Arvo with me once. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like it was part of the conversation and I just smiled and nodded. I thought it was slang. Uh, I mean, I thought it was a regular word, but he, he assumed everybody understood him. Nobody understood him until he had to explain to us what that word meant. Yep, do, do, you under, do you understand chucking a Yui? <laughs> No, absolutely not. Uh, nothing, to do, nothing to do I, with I sheep. No. Absolutely nothing to do with ha- sheep. Have a guess, Ray. Taking a U-turn on the road. Oh, Correct. He, he, he knows too much. This is the issue. <laughs> I guess. Germany's guess was... I translate into many languages. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that is disgusting. Poland's guess was to drink fast. And Russia's guess was this, everything is cool. But yeah, it's to make a U-turn yeah, while you're driving. That's that's it. Well, that that's actually tells you a lot about the cultures that are making those guesses as well, too, yeah. right? Kind of the the subliminal side of the culture. Yeah. Look, I know. Yeah, okay. Obviously, you believe in the power of language, but you do that so much that you've got another project as well. Where you're trying to help people from poorer countries as well, because you know language breaks down barriers. 
Exactly. We, we have two ways that we're trying – three ways actually that we're trying to do that now. We're expanding into a third way as we speak. Uh, the first one is we for, – for the teachers, we actually try to hire teachers in – especially for languages like Spanish, Portuguese, and Brazilian, in the case of Brazilian, um, from countries with a lower income and pay them a salary much higher than what they would make if they worked in their own country. So our Spanish teachers make much more per hour than they would make working in a brick-and-mortar school in Mexico. And we know that because we used to own a brick-and-mortar school. The same thing for Portuguese. So that's one of the programs we have. The second program is through my time at the Peace Corps, I actually had access to some free language material. But it wasn't organized very well. So once I was done, I contact, made some contacts at the Peace Corps offices in D.C., also the U.S. State Department. And I was able to get a hold of a number of public domain language courses. And we make that freely available on our website. I believe we have close to 150 languages ranging from survival Kiswahili to Ikbatan, which is a random island in the Philippines. And there's a dialect, I think, spoken by about 10,000 people um, to English and Spanish and Dutch. Uh, we have free material, audios, in some cases, even videos uh, that people can come into our website and learn a language. If they can't afford it with a teacher, we'll at least help get them started. And the third thing we're doing which I believe is similar to a program you guys do at World Nomads, is we're starting to work with Save the Children. I just started meeting with them earlier this month, and part of the income we get from our classes are going to be going towards refugees and to sponsor individual children around the world, which is for their education as well. Yeah, that's kind of how we got connected as well, I know. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, that's our uh, Footprints Network where we, mm. we, we collect micro donations at the point of sale. So you can put two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, depending on how big your does insurance some, does policy Does everyone is. know what a buck is? Sorry, dollar. Yes, of course they <laughs> do. Yeah. Um, and that goes towards a range of community-based projects that we've identified through NGOs. So you can actually see, yep, I'm I'm spending my $5 towards helping provide solar lanterns for a village in Peru so the kids can study after it gets dark, things like that. Obviously, giving back, that's our way of giving back. That's really That's a really essential part of travel as well, isn't it? I agree. In fact, volunteer travel is something that I personally enjoy to do and I think all of the staff at Live Lingua also enjoys doing. Um, we kind of try to look for the kind of people who fit into our culture. My wife and I volunteer every year at a school for the deaf in Mexico and whenever we travel to a new country, we try to do at least a week of volunteering there. It's a great way to learn the culture. It's a great way to learn – even pick up some of the language. If you can't afford to take a language course, go and volunteer somewhere with the locals. Uh, you can't help but pick up some of the language when you're working with people who won't speak any English or whatever your native language is. If you can't afford to learn a language or don't have time to learn a language, how essential is it just to come up with a few key phrases to, to use when you're in a country? I think it's critical. Um, when you're going to a new country, even if you make a fool of yourself – Using those key phrases, it actually – the people you're talking to warm up when you actually try to use the local language. Even if you use it badly, it opens a lot of doors for you. Uh, another story from when I first came to Mexico as a Peace Corps volunteer and I, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. And I kept on telling people I was embarazado because I thought that meant embarrassed. Uh, apparently it means I was pregnant. So I like to tell people I was pregnant for three months in Mexico when I arrived. Congratulations. Uh, so, but people, exactly. I, that's I, I, a great was, icebreaker. Yeah, that's It great. is. It is. And I thought people were laughing because I was being humble. No, they were actually laughing at me, not with me. Um, <laughs> but 
it opened up doors and people kind of warmed up to me right there uh, when I was there. So don't be afraid to kind of try the language. You'll be surprised at the reception you get from the locals. Nobody will make fun of you for trying to, to yeah. speak their language. Yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned the Peace Corps. Our U.S. listeners will be familiar with that. But for listeners in other parts of the world, explain what it is. Yeah. Do you actually sure. have to put, was- a, put a uniform on? Is it sort of militarized in some way or? That's actually a. Surprisingly, even some of my friends in the United States thought I was joining a branch of the army um, when I joined the Peace Corps. My history in the Peace Corps, I was actually born into the Peace Corps. My father was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Philippines, and I was born while he was still serving. So I like to say, you know, from zero to 11 months old, I was in the Peace Corps, and then I joined it again in my mid to late 20s. The Peace Corps is a program started by John F. Kennedy, uh, so back in the 70s, I believe. And essentially what it does is it takes – volunteers from the United States and sends them to generally third world countries, now sometimes developing countries, with almost no pay outside of essentials to help a local community in the country you get sent to. And the way they help varies depending on the skill set of the person they send. Uh, If you volunteer straight out of college, some of the common things that they send people over for is HIV education. They go through a three-month course and then they go out and try to train people with HIV or English education. That's a very easy one to get people, especially people with no English level, to do – to learn a little bit of English. In my case, I was actually sent over as a systems engineer. There weren't that many systems engineers applied for the Peace Corps, so they took me and and they sent me me to Mexico. And I was actually working at a science center in southern Mexico, kind of the U.S. equivalent of the National Science Foundation. And I was helping the science center assist the indigenous communities in Chiapas in particular in southern Mexico. So how many – you're saying you do a lot of travel with your wife. So where (laughs) – how many countries have you been to and where's your favourite? I've never actually sat down and counted, but I would say going on 40. Wow. Uh, And hopefully Japan will be there in the next four weeks and India will be in October. Uh, So we'll check two more off the list. Let's see. What would be my favorite? We loved Italy. Um, Italy was an amazing trip. I got a chance to travel around my sister and her boyfriend and my wife. Uh, We were there, I think it was last year, maybe the year before. Uh, We really liked Italy. And we really enjoyed our time in Morocco. I think those might be our two favorite countries that we've traveled to so far. And I love personally I have a connection, but it's to Turkey as well, um, Istanbul. But that's because I lived there for 15 years and I grew up there. So I don't know if that counts as travel per se. What, what's it about Morocco that you, that you like so much? In, for me, it actually reminded me a little bit about of Turkey when I went there. I couldn't speak the language, of course, um, French or the Arabic that they speak or any of the local um, languages spoken by the people there. But it seemed like such a mix of a culture. You could go into a part of Morocco and Spain is essentially – Spanish is the native language. Mm-hmm. Another part French is. Another part English is. And then you go to Marrakesh and everybody speaks – You know, me speaking three or four languages. I felt like the least educated person there. The guy serving me kebabs in the market spoke like 12. Yeah. Um, so it was just really a fascinating mix of cultures from the sub-Saharan Africa, from the Middle East, from the Spanish, from the French – all mixed together in a relatively small country. Now, you also help, apart from doing all of this, you help people become digital nomads. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm involved in some communities that that focus on that. And I have a blog that I have called Teacher Indie, where I'm actually specifically trying to help teachers become digital nomads. My life has kind of led me in that direction where I've been working in the education field. But my expertise or my knowledge is not education. It's business and IT. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to kind of 
combine those my skills with the teaching skills and help teach people to make a living online, whether it be via teaching directly, blog, creating courses, and a lot of the other tricks um, that are related to online business. I've just looked up that site. looks great. We'll share that in show notes, Phil. Yeah, absolutely. And so your business itself, I mean, you are a digital nomad too. And so it's the whole business we were talking actually before we hit the record button. Just tell us about that. Sure. Um, Live Lingua is actually a 100% digital business, which is becoming much more common these days. But we don't have a physical address per se. We're registered in Boston in the United States. That's where we pay our taxes. But we don't have to waste money on a big shiny office, which means our students don't have to pay for our big shiny office either. All of our staff work around the world. My wife and I spend most of the year in Mexico. I was mentioning my content manager is in Denver now, but he worked for a few months in Bali with us. Um, last year, our head coordinator, which is the one who handles the assignment of teachers and students, he started working for us in Mexico, but he's now back in the United Kingdom. Our HR managers in Spain, we have a programmer in the Ukraine and another one in the United States. And we meet every week uh, via Skype meetings and we have a team meeting every month and we have a group meeting every year in person. So we meet up in a different part of the world and we kind of try to connect that way. And it's it's been working well. As long as you're kind of a used to this culture or open to this kind of culture, I think it works very well. Well, you've got a lot going on, as we say here in Australia. You're flat out like a lizard drinking. <laughs> yeah, good luck with Australian <laughs> idioms. Seriously. <laughs> Australia's on my list of countries to visit. I might have to take some Australian lessons, you know, before I go down there. We have some Australian teachers. I might take some English lessons with them before I come. Oh, absolutely. You might need to. <laughs> yeah. Well, been quite inspiring listening to you. And as Phil said, you're indeed an amazing nomad. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that chat, yarn, conversation, whatever you refer to as it is. You're a living thesaurus, Kim. What can I say? Hey, you can find our Amazing Nomads bonus episodes alongside the Amazing Nomads Destination podcast on iTunes. If you know an Amazing Nomad or we should highlight, send us an email at podcast at worldnomads.com. Amazing Nomads. Be inspired.